this is Tuck, 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 Tuck. Welcome to episode two of the reboot of the Tuck Talk podcast. I go by the name of Liddell the Fashionista. And currently, as you guys can see on the panel this week, we have two new members. We have from the Out of Bounds podcast, Mr. Noel Austin. And then we have Mr. CEO Beam himself, Vernal Barton, one of our member of our graphics and video team here at Trevor Culture Magazine. So one by one, I'm allowed them to introduce themselves one by one before we get into today's episode for today. So fellas, take it away. No, let's start with you, actually. Hey guys, um, you heard if you listen to Out of Bounds podcast, you heard my voice a lot. Um, no Austin, writer at Tuck, and you know on Tuck Sports. So glad to be here. Hi everybody, my name is Vernal, but I go by my name by my nickname Beam, and I'm a photographer, videographer out here in Atlanta. And I'm also a student at Georgia State University. And I'm glad to be here at Talk Talk. Okay, dope. That was great to have you guys. Now, as you guys all know, or possibly heard of the old saying, they all say that the best ability is availability, which is true. But I'm a firm believer that the bet that without uh, actual availability in the flesh, this that we all must have, and that's mental stability. So as we did in episode one, this is gonna be like a running theme going on for every episode going forward i like to do what we like to call the mental check-in so for my panel here today like you said with our scale we go about one to ten scale right one is the most extreme i mean i want to die two means my life is pointless three means nothing matters four my life sucks right now five it is whatever six i'm content seven i'm grateful eight i'm in a good place nine i'm excited about life at ten is things couldn't be any better life is grand so let's start one by one Everybody just give you a rundown as far like where you guys are at right now on a scale of one to ten from my mental aspect. Let's start with you now. Um, I would say I'm probably smooth eight. I'm in a good place. Um, I recently had to come back. I come I came back home from school to uh tell my mom and so I was helping her and then at the same time I feel like what we don't talk about enough is like being present in the moment. I feel like nowadays we all try to rush to do like 18 different things and we try to go to school, go to work, you know, still be entrepreneur and like do all these things, but we never like are present. Like I helped my mom and then she went to work and I had like the whole house to myself. I had the car to myself. I just went driving. And I think just that was like just me being present. So I feel like a big thing for me this past week was just being more present to like the moment and to like the day instead of looking like a year and like months into the future trying to figure out life is like just be present for what it is right now and like everything else will come so yeah okay okay dope Vernon, where you at on a scale of one to ten well i'm between i'll say some days are seven some days are eight because especially coming from trinidad and international is a country in the caribbean and then transferring over here i only came over here in 2019 and um, I came like six, like just about six months before Corona hit, before the COVID-19 pandemic. And that, you know, it, it shook up a lot of things, but I'm still grateful for what I do have. I do have food to eat every day. I do have a place to sleep somewhere, somewhere to stay. So I have things to be grateful for. And I wouldn't say that I'm in a, I'm in a bad place. I'm in a good place. I, I could afford my rent. I could afford my bills. You know, there's people with worse conditions, so. I'm say I'll say seven, seven. I'll say eight. Great score. It's a great score. Tamari Anderson, where you at with it? I would say I'm at an eight, just like I was last time we had this panel. 
I mean, things are winding down with school and now I have more time to, you know, for family, more time to myself, to my dog. So I'm not really, you know, stressing about assignments per se. It's more so just bettering myself and my future. So I'm definitely in a really good place right now. I'm glad to hear. Hey, that's very good. That's very good. We are missing you. I think I'm still at my seven from last week. I mean, like things are good. I'm busy. I'm really, really busy. So like, it's hard like finding time for like other things that are like extracurricular. But yeah, like I'm working a lot and I'm writing a lot. And yeah, so I'm excited about, you know, what we're working on and what I'm putting out. But yeah, just, you know, I'm grateful for everything. I'm just I'm tired, man. Same here, same here. It's a black dawn. Um, I want to say I'm currently at like a good 7.58. Um, all of the things that I needed to be working on for myself, I'm kind of getting in the process of it slowly and surely, getting into the habit of like, you know, writing more, dancing picks back up for me, so I'm dancing more. If anything, my body is just tired. I'm just exhausted. I'll say this. I could definitely relate with you guys that are tired, like Lydia and Sean, because I'm in the same boat. So I might say myself, I'll say I'm at an eight as well. I'm in a good place. Like May, this is obviously the start of May, the first episode of the month of May. So I feel like May is going to be a very great month for myself and for everybody here. So I'm excited about what's to come. But it does, it could be very exhausting sometimes, but that's life. I'm grateful to know that everybody is pretty at a solid place. I've heard no lower than 7.5, which I'm very grateful to hear with everybody. But I want to get into today's topic of conversation for today. The title for today's episode is Overcoming Racial Stereotypes. Now, see here we have African-Americans, we have Latinas, with you, Lydia. We also have Beam, you're from the Caribbean. So I've come to understanding that for people of color such as ourselves, we're kind of expected to live up to certain stereotypes, so to speak, whether it's how we talk, how we dress, what type of music that we listen to, you know. So I guess individuality has kind of lost its meaning in today's world, especially like from a political landscape where it's like as our current president joe Biden once said that if you do not vote for me then you ain't black make it seem like you know just hey everybody if you, everybody that belongs to one race is all about a herd mentality everybody thinks the same everybody you know go through life with the same interests the same habits so i want to present this question to the panel here has that ever been a situation in your life where you felt that your voice wasn't heard or that your individuality was questioned because you went against the grain as far as the type of person that you are supposed to be. So that's my question for you all. I mean, if you can't tell, I'm wearing a Nirvana shirt. Um, <laughs> a lot of, you know, I, I like I like music. I grew up around music. My mom was in the music business. Um, my sister, she dabbled in the music as well. And my mom also dabbled in the fashion industry. So for me growing up, I was always, I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta. So like, I was always open. My parents gave me this unique experience to be a kid and to just go do anything that I wanted to do and just listen and do, you know, just do anything I wanted to do. I feel like that is something a lot of young black kids don't have because of racial stereotypes or just the environment that they're in. Like I skateboarded for like, since I was like five to like when I was in middle school, but then I surfed because I have cousins in California, so you go out and surf, and then you have the surf culture, and then you come back to Atlanta, and it's like, why is this black kid talking like this? Why is he talking like this? Why is he skateboarding? Why does he want to go to the X Games? Like, you know, all the questions, they question your, like, identity because they don't see that too often. They don't see a black kid, like, wanting to do these things, but it's like, 
I'm still a person. Like I can do different things instead of like just be in this one box. So I think it's it's hard. And it also comes from your own community. Like it all obviously it comes from white people. You're always in question of like, oh, he's he's one of the good ones because he's not what we think black people are. So he's one of the good ones. But like from the same time, it comes from I think as a black community, it comes within with it comes within as well. Like the amount of times I went to a cookout and like I was listening to music and they like open my playlist, it goes from like Roddy Rich to Nirvana to Paramore to Tam and Paul, and it's so different. And they're just always like, he's not black enough. Or even just how I speak. For the longest time, I didn't say anything because I sound like a middle-aged white guy. I, it's fine, I get it. I sound like a middle-aged white guy who's an accountant, it's fine. But like, <laughs> those are the things that like, I went through and I was just like, I don't wanna speak no more. Like there was a couple years, I just didn't talk to anybody just because I didn't, I was told all the time I was not black enough just because of how I sounded. And I was like, how do you, how do you change that? What do you do to change that? And then as you get older, you're like, yo, this, I don't give a fuck. I don't know if I can cuss or not, but I don't give a fuck. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Because if I get stopped by the cops, I'm still, the same outcome going to happen. Like, just, they don't care if I listen to Nirvana or Roddy Rich. Like, they going to look at me as a black man, so it don't matter. Now, in terms of that, with the type of music that you listen to, like, did that kind of, the way you was treated growing up, did that kind of play a way to, like, your psyche now as a person? Like, how you approach life, how you approach people? Like, do you feel like it reserved you a little bit? Or did you, like, you know, fuck it, I'm just going to continue to be more open with who I, I used, am? I used to not be as open. I used to really not be as open as I am now. But I think when you're, it just taught me at a young age to be comfortable with yourself. I think a lot of people aren't. Mm -hmm. And that's why they want to be in a clique or they want to they want to feel accepted somewhere because they don't want to feel like it's okay to be like I'm in, I'm on my own shit like I'm here and I owned it and so for me what really helped me was music because just seeing artists like Childish Gambino for for instance Liddell you know I talk about Donald Glover a lot because for like those adolescent years for me like that was my that was my Tupac because like having a black person that's like that gets it and it's like he's saying the same things that i feel is like that's it like you point out like that's the dude that i want to listen to and so for me it just his music and what he did for me made me accept like yo i'm a black kid that just wants to be a black kid and do these things and so it definitely made me more comfortable and more open for myself just to do whatever i can screen write i can skateboard i go back to california i go surf in malibu with my cousins like <laughs> you you're just you're just yourself and you can't change that so that's what that taught me okay but how does uh anybody else that's on the panel feel free to chime in whenever how does a black kid from the suburbs of atlanta get into surfing like how did that come about um it was just out of curiosity it was it was it was really just out of curiosity because my parents never put me in a box. They never told me that I had to, you had to play football, you had to play basketball, you had to do these things. And I think that was one thing that I, even to this day at 21, I tell my parents like, thank you. Like you guys didn't put me in a box of this is what you can only do. And if you don't do this, then we don't love you or we don't care about what you're doing. So I was just curious, like, I know my friends, like, I think I surfed when, I think like fourth grade. And they were talking about, oh yeah, we go to California all the time. We go to Malibu Beach and you know, we do this. And I was like, well, I have cousins in Long Beach and I have cousins in Malibu, like I can go out there. 
and so we went out there and there's like there's a difference because there's a lot of people that live in california and long beach and compton ain't never been to the beach they've never been to the beach like you live on the beach but you've never been to the beach but you go up to malibu that's all they do that's surf culture you go up there you go to malibu you know orange county in that area that's just that's their sport so it was just out of curiosity like i can swim I knew how to swim at the age of three, so it was just like I beat that stereotype out the gate. My dad made sure he's I like, did. Oh. I did. I still don't know how to swim. No, my dad made sure he's like, no, my sons are gonna know how to swim. So I knew how to swim, but it was just out of just watching, just sitting at the beach and just watching them do it. And it was kind of like skateboarding, so I was like, I want to try it. So it's just having the opportunity and the environment to try these things. And if I'm like, I don't like it, then I don't like it, but. You just can try it, and it's not question. Your your identity isn't in question if you just want to try something. And I feel like as Black people within the Black community, we I wouldn't say demonize, but we always look. We give a side eye to someone that wants to try something that's different. I play football. I play basketball, but I also play baseball. I play lacrosse. I golfed. Like I was never in the box of like this is what a Black person's supposed to do. I was always given the side eye. Even when I went out and served, the white people they looked at me like why. The only black, I was the only black kid besides my cousin out there just surfing. Mm-hmm. So it's always a side. I think it comes from it stem like that. That's something that stems similarly from the Caribbean too. Like we grew up around beaches or around a lot of water, so you see people going out on boats and jet skis and all that. And then when, well, say I I came down to Atlanta and it's different out here. Is a lot of city. Is not much beaches. So if I I never been to. California or Long Beach or, you know, Panama City Beach. I never been over there, but I never had the opportunity to, or the it was in my environment. So just like Noah said, it's really about the environment that you grow up in. Like if you have the opportunity to go to Long Beach or to go to Miami, or you have cousins or family out there, then that'll give you a lot of privilege. But in my instance, I have cousins back home in Trinidad who, who never even left Trinidad. They, they never experienced american culture they never came to like how to say you know how america has so much opportunity as in for jobs or for school and all that and back in the caribbean or back in trinidad i can speak for is so is limited to what you could really do so that's why you know kids would leave back home and come over here just for the opportunity and the experience but it's just you know like ladale said um ladale what you said the ability is is the what the, the best ability is mental stability rather that, than actual availability rather than availability so it's really about the availability to do it and what i'm out here doing is basically making the pathway for kids who don't have the ability to come out here and experience what other black kids wouldn't experience you know what i mean like going to long beach and going to different countries and surfing or playing golf or we're not just limited to you know to a certain stereotype so what i'm doing is showing black kids that they could come out here too and they could leave the leave trinidad come out here and go to school and do anything that they want to do have a free opportunity to do anything that they want to do no matter what color they are black indian white chinese whatever they whatever they want to do now for you um verna was because you just recently came over to america so did you experience a bit of a culture shock coming here yeah yeah it was because well, especially in Atlanta, but I think, you know, like if I had transferred to going, like let's say to New York, it would have been, I think it would have been different because there's so much Caribbean people over there. Yeah. It would have feel like home, but down here, uh, it's more it's country. So it's, it's just, you don't see much Caribbean people. It's kind of like, you know, everybody 
they, but they have stereotypes for me as well. Like they think like, all right, I'm an immigrant, so I'm supposed to be, I, I'm supposed to be doing something productive, which I am. I'm going to school and stuff. But that's a, that is a stress by itself because to go to school you need money, and as an F1 student you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to work and all that. So how are you going to fund yourself? And then your parents back home could only do so much. And then you could apply for only so much grants. So it's like you're limited as well as a as an F1 student to certain stereotypes, you know? Now, you mentioned, Rondo, as far as like, you know, there's not many Caribbean people in the south of Atlanta. Now, mm-hmm. Amari, you come from the Bible Belt, you know, so I just, and you went to a school that's basically a predominantly white institution. So mm-hmm. how was it for you, you know, being a representation of a minority, a black woman, being in a predominantly white, being a predominantly white school? Like, were you, like did the people around you kind of expect you to act a certain way yeah so i've lived in the south all my life my father was born in dallas texas but he mainly lived in uh, louisiana and then my mom is from tennessee and he moved up here to go to hbcu from louisiana so my experience in college was totally like i don't know i mean it's a pwi and i'm a first generation graduate at UT and also in my family to graduate. So I didn't really give much thought about going to HBCU at first. It was just like, I've gotten all the scholarships for UT. Let me go to UT. It's a great school, it's a flagship. But as far as if I felt like I was alienated or something, I'm lucky to be a part of the arts and sciences school. So that's more like, you know, people with an open mind. Whereas if I were maybe like a marketing major or like maybe business or something, I would have been exposed to different people. But while being there, like my, I remember my first, my first semester as a freshman, I lived on campus in Massey Hall and the college actually allowed a white nationalist group to come on campus. And right there, I was just like, you don't really value me because how can you have like this hateful group rent an entire space and come onto campus and you not do anything about it. As far as my opinions being heard, of course being black and then being a female, like there were times where I felt like I wasn't heard because predominantly all of my classes are white. And then even in high school, back in Jackson, Tennessee, I took all advanced, all honors. And I was like one of maybe like three black kids inside of each of those classes. And just like you guys were talking about with music, like I remember one time, like my playlist, just like you guys were saying, it goes all the way from Fleetwood Mac to like gangster rap. (laughs) So I had my phone and I was going through it. And then one of these girls were like, let me see what you've got in your phone. And it happened that the playlist that I had on, it was Baby Come Back (laughs) later. (laughs) And she was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I listen to everything like, one of my mom's favorite, like my mom loves the Bee Gees and like one of my dad's favorite songs is A Horse With No Name. So like there's this wide range for me and I just hate to be put in a box, like whether it's with design or whether it's with, you know, culture. I have friends of many different cultures and I love to learn about different cultures. And I just feel like if you're not gaining different experiences, you're limiting your own knowledge and your own, you know, experience on this earth. And I feel like one of the reasons why we're here is to like experience different things. And if I'm just linear minded or narrow minded, I'm not going to gain any knowledge that can help me within my personal life or with inspirations toward design or whatever have you. I feel you on that. I definitely feel you on that. Now, Lily, being a Latina growing up in the West Coast, who currently goes to the University of Washington, go Huskies, by the way. <laughs> so can you give us like uh, some insights for like, your experiences growing up? 
Yeah. So I'm from Calabasas um, in California. I grew up in the Valley, talk like a Valley girl, been a Valley girl. And I was talking to a friend about this a while ago, but like, it was really interesting because I like didn't have like friends that like looked like me until I came to college. And I didn't really like embrace being like a person of color or anything like that until I went to college, until I was like, oh man, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not just like, you know, this other person living in like this bubble of like the predominantly white valley you know so and like that was what you know Noel and Imara you guys were talking about like my parents did a really good job of not putting me in a box growing up we didn't like talk a lot about like claiming any like specific like nationality like yes I'm Afro-Cuban and I'm white but I've like never specifically been like I don't know like had any kind of like pride in any specific flag you know and so I think that like that was in a way like a service to me too because I wasn't ever like I don't know I didn't feel like I had to like perform anything my dad was always telling me he was like I don't want you to be like oh I have to act this way he's like I just want you to be me I just want you to be Lily I just want you to be you um so like that was really cool for me but like also growing up you know like I only had white friends I went to private catholic schools throughout my entire school career before going to UW I only had white friends and so like that was the culture that I was immersed in that's that's what I did and that's that's like you know who I hung out with and stuff like that and so I wasn't like able to be like feeling like a part of a community until I came to UW and like yes you know UW is also predominantly white and that has struggled in its own but I think as far as like finding a community and finding like a group of people that like you can you know discuss shared experiences with and you know have those kind of conversations with I think it's really helpful but it's difficult moving from that place moving from a place of like okay like yes my friends are all white and like um, my community was all white in Calabasas and then it's like okay yeah like they don't necessarily understand everything that you're going through everything that like you know the community of people that like is yours like racially culturally ethnically you know not everybody's going to understand that so it's difficult almost like having to be the one to facilitate those conversations and being the one to like put that out there but yeah so it was definitely a big jump and a big change but you know it was all for the better it was all for the good now you said that you didn't kind of meet people that kind of like relate to your culture till you got to college now once you were introduced to those people did they kind of expect you to kind of like have like more of an understanding of like where you come from or that's something that kind of like you know you had to like just develop over time alongside them per se yeah no I think it was just like it was just a matter of like I don't know just becoming friends with people learning about people um and stuff like that but I think it was more like there was the gateway that was there you know like there was there was like a path to go there because you know I wasn't like I wasn't stuck in any one thing. Like I was saying, like, I wasn't like, I wasn't raised to be like, okay, like, yes, I'm this and whatever. So as far as like assimilating and stuff like that, like it made things like a little bit easier. But yeah, I think it was just about like growing with like a community that like I established myself and that I like realized that I was, you know, a part of once I like kind of got out of like the valley and everything like that. But yeah. Gotcha. Now, as far as for myself, me and Sean, we both, live in new york city which is one of the most diverse places that you could possibly live in it's filled with culture from many different backgrounds with it caribbean culture soul culture when i say soul culture i mean like you know harlem like black culture stuff like that you have your asian culture your jewish culture italian you name it we have it here in new york city but sean because say because me and you we're both interested in the same thing whether it's video games anime things of that nature have you ever felt among your friends that you kind of had to like hide you know the things that interest you that you might say like come on like, not too many people are into anime 
things, you know, shit like that. Like, do you feel like you had to like suppress who you are as an individual in front of your friends, or you was able to be as open about it? So I'll say there was a growing up, there was a weird kind of change in like level. I would say so. I had a different experience growing up in like each stage, I guess, each stage of my life where something changed or like being around different people kind of changed a little bit. So it's like when I was in elementary school, predominantly black, it was like, you know, predominantly black school. There was still a mix of cultures and everything. But back in elementary school growing up, it was like more of an openness. Weird, like weirdly enough like I used to be the kid who like we all said I love music so I used to listen to everything I'd be the one to collect like all of the soundtracks from like a bunch of Disney shows or a bunch of like all these different things to listen to and before like in elementary school I would think like you know I'd get teased for it or stuff like that but we were all on the same page so they'd always ask me to bring in like season roll and stuff like that and you know everything was fun when I got to high school there was like the shift more of the I guess the why do you kind of listen to this or like, you know, kind of the conformity aspect started to come in a little bit in high school because it was like I got there. Everybody was either like clicked up. Everybody was like doing, I guess, what predominantly black activities. Like Noel said, I was always like Noel had mentioned I was interested in like surfing and stuff like that. So that was always something that was in my head. I never really did like the basketball, the football, stuff like that. So I, I kind of felt like outcasted because I wasn't one of the people who like got into like, you know, that kind of stuff. Especially I remember this one time where I think I actually had my iPod and I let my friend borrow it and he was listening to it. No problem. He didn't say anything about it at all. But then, and it's going to sound really weird, like the guidance counselor, to sit, like to hear like an adult figure came up into this, but a guidance counselor came and I think had went past and saw him with my iPad. He's going through it. And he's just like, oh, you listen to this? And my friend I'm, I automatically was just like, who knows? This is like his iPad. I'm just kind of sitting there just like, right, cool. Like, you know, I feel like I can't necessarily be completely myself being to Paramore, being to anime, because, like, not everybody in this facility likes it or they don't agree with it. They may have the ideas about it. And then when I got into college, it was a complete, like, more exploration into everything since that's when I went to, like, a PWI for college. I went to, like, a PWI for college. And um, so there was more, I guess, cultural explorations. So, like, you know, I got to see what a bunch of other people got who are into things that I was already into but like everybody was kind of like out in the open about it a little bit more so like kind of got to like that shift of now it's no longer oh this is what black people do this is what white people do it's like you kind of see what everybody's doing but you kind of see that we all kind of relate in a certain way so it's like a lot different to go there and be like you know oh um where in high school I might have been shy and be like oh do you watch Naruto or something like that you'd step on the campus automatically and it'd be like you know oh did you catch the new episode did you watch this did you watch that you play this do you do that do you hang out with this do you listen to this and you sit there just kind of like oh so i can actually openly talk about the things that i'm interested in again now where back in like high school it was kind of like this like again the clicky conformity you got to be what everybody else expects you to be kind of like you know vibe to actually survive and then you grow older and you grow into college and all the stuff like that and it's just kind of like a like no one said fuck it <laughs> like you know you just hit the stage where it's just like i am who i am regardless of what you think I am, like, you know, regardless of how my voice sounds, if I'm 
soaking white, but it is what it is. Now, do you guys think that social media makes it hard for, you know, people such as ourselves, people of color to kind of like openly express our individuality? Because it seems like people, they trend on social media for perpetrating like certain stereotypes about Black and Latino people. So you feel like it kind of like certain people like King Bach, for example, he kind of blew up from the Vine era for kind of like perpetrating like the fact that black people love fried chicken or stereotypes. I said stereotypes. I mean, fried chicken or watermelon, excuse me. And that also, like, sometimes within a black household that the black father is no longer, is not in the household. Do you feel like social media kind of makes it harder for us to kind of be more, like, openly expressive about who we are? Because, and let's be for real now, like, most of the people that follow people like King Bach are white people. So they automatically come in with these ideas as far as how black people are supposed to act. Which is why I assume that people such as Noah, Amari, Sean, whenever they're in a classroom and these people find out about the music that they listen to, it's a surprise to them. He has some people on the internet like a King Bach. I don't mean to keep calling him out, but it is what it is. They kind of, like, make it harder, per se, because they're like, oh, no, you're supposed to listen to gangster rap all the time. Oh, no, you're supposed to only listen to R&B. Like, you're not supposed to listen to, like, punk rock or rock. You're not supposed to have a colorful mohawk in my cases that I used to have back in the day. So what do you guys think on that? I think it depends on what side of social media you are. And we talk about the classroom. I went to a predominantly white high school. And, you know, being the only black kid to play lacrosse was, like, obviously that was a culture shock. I was probably the second because the first guy I think before me, he went to college. He And they treated him like Jackie Robinson. Like he, <laughs> like he didn't brought the color barrier. But I went to HBCU, shout out to Fort Valley State University, the shout Fort Valley State University. But also I got accepted to Morehouse College, Howard University, North Carolina ET. Like their social media platform, like it's a whole different world. Like when you, like literally that pun intended, a whole different world when you go to like an HBCU because it's different. Like when I was in high school, the stuff I like, you know, like Sean said, anime, like I watched anime, you know, I watched Star Wars as a kid. Like I used to like, some, I wouldn't say nerdy stuff, but I used to like stuff that was different, but it's, but I play sports. So people kind of overlooked that. Oh, he plays football. Oh, he plays three sports. We know him. It was cool. And then when you go to college, going to HBCU, it feels like it felt like I found like the black people that like, oh, so you were in AP geography. You're the only black person too. Oh my, like going to Morehouse, that's what it was. Or like visiting Morehouse. They were like, oh, so you were also the only black person too. I was like, yeah. And then you kind of bond over that experience, but also going to Fort Valley State, same situation. You have really smart kids that go to these schools. Like, yo, you felt the same thing. I listen to Charles Yambia too. I listen to Tame Impala. So it depends on what side of social media you are on because when you go to HBCU, you don't really see the King botches. You that's really the King Batches, that's that's white entertainment. That's like like they broke it down. It was a minstrel show. Really? Because when you go to HBCU, they they we have our own history curriculum and you learn about minstrel shows. And so King Batch was a minstrel show. He was for white America. He's like, oh, he's black enough and funny enough. And the stereotypes that he's portraying are what I know. And that's funny to me. So that makes it okay. We don't watch King Batch. You go to Fort Valley State, like, we don't watch him. He's not funny. You know, you go to Morehouse, we not watching him. Like, what are you talking about? So it really depends because where I went to school, we really uplifted our blackness. And for me, that's what, like, Fort Valley State for me, even though I transferred because of other reasons, they gave me the sense of like, it's okay to be yourself because you're still black. That's where I think I got that from because there's a lot of kids there that listen to Tame Impala, you know, played soccer. We, they had a baseball team, you know, Morehouse had a lacrosse team, you know, seeing black kids playing the same things that I liked. I was like, yo, this is crazy. And it just depends on where you're at in the spectrum. And so King Batch and the whole minstrel show situation, that's white entertainment. Because no black person be watching that. Because it's we 
the social media feed that I see is like we just uplift each other. Like, oh, you got natural hair, do that. You know, you like there's a black person that makes anime. Oh, okay, we gonna we gonna buy we gonna buy your manga, bro. We gonna we gonna watch it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it just there's two different sides to this. I felt like one of the um, interesting things that I realized was like looking at King Batch. I guess now compared to when he kind of blew up during the Vine days, because I'll be like honest to say I used to like you know. I used to follow him. Some of his skits and stuff I thought was funny, but I didn't fully know how problematic it was until like more recently where I actually, some people would like upload some of the ones that he used to put up before where it'd be like the actual stereotypical, like, you know, entertaining the stereotypes for humor. So it'd be like, you know, um, I'm just come up with a skit I did. I'm pretty sure he'd probably do. It'd be like a white person bringing like, you know, chicken, fried chicken to like the table and putting it down. And the combo would be like, like, you know, he'd be like, what? Like, what is this? And he'd be like, oh, I thought you, like, you know, y'all people love fried chicken. He'd be like, we do. Where's the hot sauce? Like, you know, like, he like you kind of feed into it a little bit. So you kind of sit there and you like, first, you know, again, younger, you might think it's a little bit funny. But then you kind of see exactly how problematic it is. And you realize you're kind of promoting the idea, like, you know, this idea that people have about who we are. Because not saying not all of us like fried chicken, but not all of us like fried chicken. Not all of us. I hate watermelon. I say that. <laughs> Hold on, hold on. No, Some stereotypes be true because watermelon be slapping. Hold on, we're not gonna do this. Well, I'm a vegan, now, but I can't eat fried chicken. Man, don't be a black person eating salmon. They're gonna look at you like, yo, he does that. It's like, yes, I like fish. I don't just eat fried chicken. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's fine. But like, yeah, uh, I think, like oh no, I think my stereo. Well, from my perspective, uh, growing up in the Caribbean, we you would hear Caribbean music, right? Like we would say dancehall or reggae music. That's what we used to. But that's a culture thing throughout the Caribbean. Then you know, there's we come into a time now where artists or artists would branch out into different styles of music. So we have Trinidad artists or Jamaican artists would be singing like hip hop music now or like R and B getting into different types of genres but a lot of people back home it's not like a lot of them they're not accepting it for what it is they criticize and they're saying you know the artist trying to change the culture so a lot of artists are stuck are stuck on racial stereotypes too they think that Caribbean people just supposed to sing reggae music or Caribbean people just supposed to sing dancehall music you know so I think that's, that's something to pay partic- some particular attention to as well you know coming from the Caribbean it's not just reggae music or dancehall music we also do hip-hop and slow music or R&B music you know sure. now in terms of music like what's some of your music interests the stereotypes so what type of music like what's on your playlist all right well I should give you my history so back in Trinidad I actually went up predominantly white high school called Patsmo oh, College. So, because there was, at, well, at the time when I went in, that was what, 2010 or nine, they were, they were the best school in Trinidad, but they were predominantly white. So when I went there, the white people there, they don't actually really listen to um, like dance or, or reggae music. They actually listen to like Nirvana music or like, you know, surf, I would guess surf, surf boy music. Cause they used to, they used to what white, I guess white people out here, well, out in America would do it. They would go and surf or go on their boats and jet skis and all that extra stuff. But that's the type of music that they would listen to. So then when I would go to school, I get exposed to, to, to those kind of music and stuff. I listen to white people music as well. So I listen to black people music. I listen to white people music. I listen to everything. But then when I went home, which I, when I leave high school and I go home, I came from a town called Laventil. And there is, I would say, the, I mean, is rough, is a ghetto. 
It's not the best place to live. It's kids that grew up in poverty. I didn't grow up in the best area, but I was privileged because I had good, hardworking parents. I, I had a house to stay in. I, we had cars. We, we were good, but we just weren't living in the best areas. But when I went, when I left high school to go back home, the type of music I heard, I heard there would be reggae music or like deep dancehall music, like, you know, strong Caribbean music. And they weren't used to white, I guess, white music. So there's certain times where I felt like, okay, when I want to listen to other types of music, I can't listen it at home because they would think of me a certain way. And then if I go to school and I play music that I heard from home, they would look at me a certain way. Like they might not want me in their school or they might look at me as some type of ghetto kid or whatever. So that's some stereotypes that I live with too. And I came over here in America and they would expect you to listen to reggae and dancehall. But I like American music too. Oh, I like other styles of music too. So I'm gonna say I am so ignorant. I did not know that they had white people in Trinidad. I did not know that until now. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, how did they get there? Yeah, they have people that that are white and they have an accent too, like, accent just like me. But they, I guess they they have a similar culture to white people over here as well. You know, like they listen to I guess their own type of music. They do their own stuff. So that's what white people do in Trinidad as well. They just do their own stuff. And I just I grew up around two different types of cultures so so another thing i want to ask you guys is do you feel like you belong more to your individuality like who you are as a person do you feel like you belong more to your race because we speak about stereotypes here and i get all the time especially on social media that oh you're supposed to automatically be for this cause because you're black or you're supposed to be for this cause because you're latino latina like do you guys feel like you guys belong more to your individuality you mean like your own interests your own thoughts or do you feel like you have a sense of responsibility to your people with your actions i think for me i think it's not it starts with individuality but you do have to have consideration for your race because your ancestors you know if you're a black your ancestors didn't do all that they did for nothing you know they did all that for for us to be here today they fought for the end the end of slavery and stuff like that for for african people well, for slaves to be sleep to, to be free so i don't think that we should look past our race just for individual um just for individual your individuality yeah your individuality, your individuality. but i do think like you know not every thing is to be accepted by you know it's all about it starts with your mental state so it's really about where where you stand with it and then how it aligns with with your culture and then it, i always say it's like a village raise a kid a village is who raised who raised us today so you do have to pay some considerations of culture but individuality is a important thing as well anybody else agree yeah i think with this kind of situation i think it's helpful to like bring up the like idea of, like whitewashing you know and how like we hear that so much like oh like you're whitewashed like like Noah was saying like he was he's like I talk like I'm a 40 year old white man you know whatever people are like oh yeah like you're whitewashed you listen to Nirvana you're whitewashed you know if you don't perform a certain way that helps people I don't know like almost conceptualize you a little bit easier if it's not easy for them then you're whitewashed you know if you don't fit into exactly what like their expectation is of you so there's no surprises you end up surprising people, people are caught off guard, and it makes people uncomfortable. And so I think that that's, you know, it, it's it's hard to deal with, but I think that that's, that's a part of it too, is like performing in a certain way. Um, but that's why I think like having that like individualist like outlook for me specifically and personally is it's important to me because it's like you know you don't have to be performing anything for anybody it's like at the end of the day you're more than what you look like on the outside you know that's 
clear and plain to everybody. It's obvious to people that aren't exactly, you know, narrow-minded folk. But, you know, I feel like for all of us, like, we're more than what we look like on the outside. So, yes, it's important to stand up for people that are marginalized, people that are living in, you know, perverse societies, and people that are struggling and hurting. And 100% standing up for your community is super important. Also, you know, I think being true to yourself too being like hey yeah like I like yes I look like this but these are my views and so I think that that's important too yeah personally I think that my views almost you know align with being like being a POC female like yes but it's as far as the stereotype goes for me I think it rings pretty true but um Yeah, I think having that more individualist outlook, I think is important because I almost don't want to like, I never want to like succumb to like what people are like already expecting of me. You know what I mean? I would say just to touch on it real quick, both are important because, you know, as a black American, we don't have, we don't have a privilege of knowing where we come from. So like for me, I just, I'm 21 and me and my dad, like we had this conversation like last year and which made him go and find out where we're from you know my family makeup is majority nigerian so it's like i wanted to buy a nigerian flag i bought the nigerian national team jersey i was like yo because as a kid i didn't know but that always stuck with me because like i wanted to know i wanted something to rep because growing up in america you soon realize like that that sometimes that that flag that they fly doesn't really protect me like it's not meant for me so you have to kind of find so you still can be black you still can have an individual of yourself like yo this is what i like but at the same time as a black person black american I'm not saying you have to but you have to know where you come from like as my grandparents would say you have to know where you come from it don't matter if i race for nascar or if i work for mercedes or whatever you have to know where you come from because that that matters not only to you but the people that look at you like that matters to them because they see a black guy they see a black man you know whether i listen to nirvana i'm in a band i'm in a punk band i'm in the, all these white spaces you're still black like that doesn't change at all so i think both are important because like there's a lot of artists like tyler the creator he's really out there he has an individual style but he's still black and he still knows it so i think that to me is the best of the best of both worlds is knowing who you are but at the same time be like yo i can be myself because there's probably some black kid somewhere that listens to nirvana or listens to paramore and still listens to roddy rich and nba young boy and pooh shicey i do the same thing i play back in blood and that play still into you by paramore but it's like there's a black kid out there somewhere that does the same thing so I feel like both are really important, but I feel like there's some black people that feel like they have to remove themselves or remove their like identity to somewhat like she, like um, Lily said, to be whitewashed, to be palatable for white people. Just, oh, we, we can accept that because it it's normal to us. Paramore, okay, I got you. We're here with that. Pooh Shiesty, don't know who that thug is. We're not gonna touch him. So it's like, you wanna be palatable for white people. So. I feel like both are really important because you don't want to be too far gone to where you feel like in your head you're not black anymore because you feel like you're accepted, but everyone's still going to look at you as a black person, no matter where you go or who you think you can be or how you can escape it. It's unescapable. That's going to be who you are for the rest of your life. Another thing that I wanted to touch on was politicians. Because you mentioned, you know, about the American flag, how shit, like, sometimes the American flag does not necessarily represent you. I have your best interests at heart, so to speak, especially when it comes down to how the police 
treat people of color. But there are some politicians out there, Bernie Sanders being one, because I heard Bernie Sanders say, if you're black, you do not, if you're not black, you do not understand what it's like to be poor. You know, kind of make it seem like only like black people could potentially be poor, which we all know is not true. But my question for you guys is, do you feel like politicians quite understand you and your people, like the way they try to claim that they do? Politicians, okay, when it comes to the blue and the red, personally for me, I think they're part of the same team. I don't see them any differently. Oh, I'm here with you. <laughs> um, I would say two wings on the same bird. Yeah, but politicians are all about performative activism and they're all about pandering pretty much. And that's exactly what Joe Biden did when he got, was it the Breakfast Club that he got onto and then said that mess? Yes. It's it all a, performative it activism. And it's like, they try to push you into a corner to where they're like, if you don't vote for me, or if you don't agree with this, then you're not black enough. And it's like, how are you going to tell me I'm not black enough and you ain't even black? So I just feel like you should take everything that a politician says with a grain of salt, because it's all a money grab. <laughs> It's all just to get the vote. Like they're a part of the same team. And that's the way I feel about politicians. I don't feel like just because you're black, you have to vote Democrat or you have to, if you're white, you have to vote Republican or, you know, whatever. I feel like you should, that's where individuality comes into play. And you have to use discernment as to what do you agree with? Really look at who these people are and their background. Have they constantly, you know, helped the black community, the black American community, have they constantly, you know, said, you know, I want to help. What have they done? Like, look at what they're saying and look at what they're actually doing, because I feel like a lot of people are voting just because they see someone who's rooting for them. And as black people in America, we cling sometimes too often to people who are rooting for us at that moment, black and Latina people. Like we just cling to whoever is rooting for us instead of using our own discernment and seeing if these people actually do value us because we have not only the highest buying power, right? We also help to put these people into office. And if they give us their word, they need to, you know, carry on and hold on to that word. And that's my opinion on that. I agree on that. I feel like for the most part that they don't. And Joe Biden, he wasn't the only one. Cause I remember one time Hillary Clinton, she was also on the breakfast club. And they asked, and Charmaine asked her like, what is it that you carry in your bag? that nobody would expect. And she said hot sauce. And then when he called her out on it, and he was like, well, you just try to appeal to the black vote, right? She said, is it working? That's exactly what she said verbatim. So I definitely agree to the fact that, you know, politicians, they don't, they don't necessarily, I think they probably feel like they speak for us, but it's all about empty promises when it comes to them. But sometimes our own community does not make it easier for us because I recall, especially me being here in New York, which is a blue state, heavy blue state. I had people close to me say, well, like, I remember when Obama was in office. I remember my first time I was excited to vote. They were like, if you're black, you got to vote for Obama. Nobody mentioned, like, his politics or nothing. It's like, he's a representation like of change, a black face, so to speak. But looking back at it now, like you can say, like, what has Obama really done for the people that put him in office? Granted, he's done some things. I'm not going to get he has done some things, but what has he done for those that he was supposed to cater to, so to speak? You guys follow what I'm saying here? Like, yeah. I had I had the Obama conversation with my dad, and I told him that just like Jackie Robinson and just like all these other black people that were first, Obama was put into a situation where he was on such a microscope that one thing that he did that like wasn't normal it was instantly like, oh God, this, the blacks are taking over. It's just, it's just like, he was like, I just wore a tan suit on Easter. Like he just wore a tan suit and they literally 
crucified this man just for wearing a tan suit. And I'm not saying Obama was the best president we ever had. I think the first time he got elected, it was for, I would say, a novelty election just to say, okay, America's came a long way. We have a black president now. Like, just a novelty in a sense. So I think that's why black people were so like, yo, hey, man, hey, my nigga, you got you have to vote for Obama real quick because we need this. Like, we need this. So it was more of a novelty aspect. I want to say novelty because I would, yeah, I would say a novelty aspect because we, as a kid, you wanted to see that. You wanted to see, like, oh, yeah, a black man can be president. So it's like, but like you said, what has Obama really done for us? And that's a really good question. But for me, I feel like Obama couldn't be so drastic because they would probably impeach him. Like, if he started doing, okay, so reparations, defund the police, they would have took us out of there in two months. They'd be like, oh, impeach him. Like, but I don't think people understand that scope because, you know, my grandfather was fought in World War II. My dad was in public service politics. You have to play the game to the people and not even to the people, but to your colleagues. And so Obama was playing a game where he had, he was put in a box, a really small box of what he could and couldn't do. He legalized gay marriage, that's, or like legalized gay marriage, that stuff, which was good, which needed to be done. But if he ever was like, so reparations for black people, or, you know, all this, it would have been done. He would have been up out of there in the next week. So he, that's my Obama thing. Cause Obama was more of a novelty aspect than like a political, like, yes, change. It's great because we all understand that, but it does not prevent the fact that all these politicians after him continue to follow the same formula. Trying if to it's get not broke, don't fix it. Pumps, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's there you like, go. If black people are going to give me a vote just because I say I care about them, all right. Obama, I worked for Obama. It just now worked for Joe Biden. White Democrat politicians going to be like, oh, all you got to do is say I got a little hot sauce, play play into y'all little games, go to the breakfast club, y'all going to vote for me? Oh, word. If it's not broke, why are they going to fix it? Get Beyonce and Jay-Z to co-sign. <laughs> hey, get Jay- I mean, shout out to Ho, shout out to Beyonce. Get just All you got to do is to get some rappers to go on you on tour, do a little do a little rappy rap little dance and they'll vote for you that's kind of how they view us you really look at it kind of like puppets yeah puppets like let let them tap dance and sing and get them out to vote and then we'll win but what do you again 100 days what has joe biden really done for black people that's a dr umar he he crazy sometimes but he posed a really good question what has he really done for black people you know we helped him even in the state of georgia me being in atlanta it was tough. Black people were like, my us were like on Facebook, like I haven't been on Facebook. So baby, so you gonna go vote for Joe Biden, right? It felt like Obama all over again. I'm like, what is he gonna do for us that we want him so bad? Like, no, I'm glad that you mentioned Dr. Umar Johnson. But unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't think we had that much time to go more in depth on that. But we'll Man. save that topic for a future episode for sure, because that's definitely an episode of itself. Yeah, he's a handful. Sure. All right, guys, but we definitely reached a point in the episode. <laughs> We're trying to wrap up, but one thing I could say from this conversation, I feel like everybody here has definitely has definitely shown the fact that we're all individuals here. Like, granted, like we're proud of where we come from, but so at the same time, we feel like it's also important to highlight, like, show that there's more than one ways to be a black man or a black woman, or to be a Latino man or a Latino woman. You know, so we all have our individuality, but also at the same time, we're also proud of where we come from. But right now, guys, it's that point in time of the show where it's time, you know, to like let people know where they can find you on social media, plug any work that you're doing with Tug or outside of Tug, the floor is yours. So let's start at the top with Noah Austin and work our way down. All right, you guys can find me on both, all platforms, just the Noel Austin, just that simple. I'm directing a music video that's coming out for a couple artists, photography books, photography stuff. Stay tuned for that. And I'm gonna do a project, a secret project out in California for a, for a secret brand, but that's 
for the future, but stay tuned. Sure. Y'all can find me at CEO Beam, or you can find my photography work at Vernal Bart, Vernal.Barton, B-E-R-N-A-L dot B-A-R-T-O-N. Hey, you guys can find me on Instagram at Imari.Anderson. I don't post a lot. I'm not big when it comes to social media. But there's also a link to my portfolio on my Instagram. You can check that out. And I'm a freelance designer. So if you need anything, reach out. Yeah, so I pretty much only use Instagram as far as social media goes. But uh, my Instagram is just at Lily Delion. So just my first and last name. Um, and my website is now out too. And what? so that has... Yeah, I know. Okay. It's like... And so yeah, so that's just lilydelion.com. Um, and that has um, all my tech stuff on it. And then it also has all of my newly finished poetry too. So you guys can go ahead and check that out. It's fresh and it's new. So please be kind, but yeah, be gentle. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited. Thanks guys. Now, do you have a poetry alias as well? Or do you still just go by Lily Deleon? This is great. It's just Lily Deleon. It's, it's all me. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So if you're looking for me on social media, that could be IG, Twitter, TikTok, everything be under the label of Black Dawn. This discussion goes to more to my website, which is blackdawnarts.com. You can see my poetry, my dance, my writing snippets up there. Currently just working on getting back into like dance and writing and everything. So new content will probably be up within the month. Dope. And you guys can find me at on IG at Liddell D Fashionista or on Instagram at True Over Culture. I'm the moderator on that IG page. But before we get out of here, I want to leave you guys with a message of the week. But when you guys see this, it is as follows. You had a purpose before anyone had an opinion. I want you guys to keep that in mind. And also, please be sure to like, share, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, you can find us on Spotify. Hopefully, very soon, Apple Podcast. I know I keep saying every episode, but they have yet to approve my verification. I don't know, maybe because I'm an Android user. But hopefully somebody can help me out with that. Also, you can find us on Google Podcasts at Tuck Podcast Network and iHeartRadio at Tuck Podcast Network. And also, ladies and gentlemen, feel, if you enjoy this conversation, feel free to leave your thoughts in the comment section. We reply to every single comment, and we'd love to get your point of views as well. And hopefully we represent it, guys, that are also proud of your individuality as well as being proud of where you come from as far as your race and culture. So with that said, thank you for tuning in to episode two of Tuck Talk, and we'll catch you guys next week. Peace.